What put the story on your radar? Because you found this one. You know, sometimes a guy just needs new kicks. <laughs> Is that what it was? You were like shopping for sneakers and there was some you knew you weren't going to get? Yeah, of course. There's so many, so many things now. You know, drop culture has become such a big part of society that there's so many things that if you want them, you literally have to pay resale and aftermarket price for it, which is, you know, ludicrous often. So, you know, a person with skills looks at other ways to acquire those things. <laughs> Did you end up buying one of these things? One of these pieces of software that we're going to spend some time talking about? No. I, I didn't, I didn't, get, didn't get in the pool. So this all starts about a decade ago on a street corner in Canada. There's a lineup of people wrapped around the block and standing in that line is this young guy named Paul. Paul was big into basketball. And through basketball, he started getting into this other thing, this whole other hobby he was sort of walking alongside, but a little too close to and slipped in. It was always what I would do with my dad, or I would go with friends and I would go line up. It's the hobby that found him on this street corner, waiting in this lineup. And it was a lot of fun. Talking about sneakers. Uh, what drew me to sneakers was actually um, basketball. I played basketball when I was in grade seven, and then one of my good friends loved the retro Jordans. On September 15th, Nike created a revolutionary new basketball shoe. 1985, black and red. On October 18th, the NBA threw them out of the game. There's a famous story about these sneakers. Jordan got fined 5,000 bucks every single game he wore them because they weren't regulation. Fortunately, the NBA can't stop you from wearing them. And Nike paid that fine every single game of the year because they understand marketing. Air Jordans from Nike. Anyway, Paul gets into sneakers. In basketball, the sneakers was the one thing that you had the ability to choose, and you could kind of like go with your own style with the sneakers. So I was always pretty big into having like the flashy sneakers, even like as far back as when I was in the seventh grade. Which back then meant standing in lineups. So then beyond that, I was open to the culture, and then I would go with my dad even to line up at the mall for the sneaker releases and stuff like that. Used to be people like Paul would rush out to buy the sneaker at the store the day it came out. As more and more consumers start shopping online, it becomes a rush to complete the transaction the second the sneaker goes up for sale. And here is where the bots show up. On the day these shoes go up for sale, the minute, the second they go on sale, there's this window of time, very brief, in which thousands of humans frantically compete to complete a cart checkout. They fight to buy the sneakers fastest. Bots, tiny programs that complete basic tasks, are good at fast. So some people have created bots that race to buy sneakers for them. Robots that complete checkouts faster than any human could ever hope to. The people who make the sneakers hate this. Uh, in recent memory, there's a couple European skate shops that posted like digital pictures of the shoe and then put it at the, a very similar retail price. 
and made it like abundantly clear to a manual user that they're digital photos and there were no refunds for the digital photos. But obviously, if you're a bot and you're running the keywords like uh, Eric Costin or whatever, it's going to check out and it won't read that this is a digital product, no refunds. So they kind of got everyone <laughs> screwed over like that. In June of last year, one sneaker company put up a trap and tricked a robot and its owner into buying the wrong pair of $10,000 sneakers. $10,000 being a life-changing amount of money and it being bad press for a sneaker company to ruin a person financially, they gave the money back. The resale market for sneakers, now this is just reselling, is worth $2 billion. And it is a massive ecosystem of individual buyers, websites, companies, and platforms all making money off of what seems at first glance like a basic issue of supply and demand. That kind of a system, with that kind of money flowing through it, sooner or later people are going to hack it. Maybe not in a fishing scheme, Trojan horse, DDoS attack kind of hack, but a hack nonetheless. And the people buying the sneakers probably aren't the only ones. My name is Jordan Blumen. And I'm Scott Winder. And this is Shopbots and Sneakerheads, here on Hacked. If you had to guess, how much would you say your collection is worth? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> <laughs> More than I would like to admit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a substantial investment, though. Um, I never really saw them as an investment, to be honest with you. I always just saw them because I would like them and I would collect them. And obviously, it's similar to a car. Once you drive it off the lot, it decreases in value. So I wear a lot of my shoes, and they have decreased in value for that reason. It's never been an asset or something like that to me. I wanted to understand how this all went from lining up outside of a store with your dad to shopbots. Because for Paul, every sneaker may not be its own asset, but they are certainly assets. We said earlier, and we will say it again, the sneaker resale market alone is worth $2 billion. So how does that happen? You eventually hit a point where... Um the shoes that you want don't release the local Foot Locker anymore. And then you have to start looking at these boutique shops and stuff like that where um, they release the specific collaboration or the specific shoe that you're looking for your collection. Um, so that's probably the start of that. As you dive deeper in the collection and you want to find different pairs of kicks like that, you have to look other places. So that's where it started for me. And then... Um, you realize how incredibly difficult it is to get these pairs of shoes. And even probably 10 years ago, probably even like five years ago, none of this bot stuff existed. And even if it did, it didn't exist very well. But as you continue, or as I continued through that, you start to realize that um, these programs are a thing. No matter how much you complain about them, they're never gonna go away. No matter how much you complain about resellers, they're never going to go away. And it's just like a part of the culture, as sad as it is in a sense. 
Like I've done my fair share of complaining and all that. So I eventually was like, this is getting me nowhere. Maybe I should figure it out. So let's figure it out. Say I want to make just like a ton of money reselling sneakers. Two billion bucks, I want a piece of that pie. Generally, the retail price of most all-in-one sneaker bots are between $250 to $400. That is Botter Boy Nova. He's like a sneaker YouTuber, does a lot of work with bots. In another video of his, we get to see how this $250 to $400 software works. So Nova, the young guy, Nova is trying to pick up some gear, cop a drop from the brand Supreme. The first release I'm gonna go for is in about 20 minutes. This is a website I haven't gone for yet, but after that, I'm gonna speak a little bit more on my predictions on how I think I'm going to perform today. It might not be the usual cookout that I'm expecting for high stock releases. Um, so let's go for this release for now and let's see how I do. We can actually see what software Nova is running. So while he is selling uh, two different bots through like affiliate program links in the text description below the video, the one that he's using is called TSB, the shitbot. The shitbot, Nike shoebot, any of these, they all work in generally the same way. Yeah, as I said earlier, I'm not the best on the technical side exactly on how they work like inside and out, but basically the summary of what it is is it's an auto checkout program which greatly expedite the... Um, speeds of a checkup. Picture an Excel spreadsheet, rows and columns. So you put in your info and you make profiles, uh, which include your billing shipping address, your credit card information, and then you create tasks. In the context of a bot, each row is a task, a goal for the bot. So tasks would basically be analogous to a person trying to check out. In the columns of that task, the user sets the website they're buying from, keywords, which is where you put the shoe name, a parameter for size, color, proxy addresses in case the seller is tracking to see where orders are coming from, and then this big fat green start task button. So then you take a task and once you start a task it works very quickly depending on um, your setup and your proxies and your server which all are important in increasing your speed and reliability of your bot. And then as your tasks go through, they can ideally check out. Fills in the task, hits the start button, and this little robot gets to chugging. Cop and sneakers. Oh. Why didn't I check these beforehand? Okay, the keywords I used was GS, but they had it spelled out, grade school. Dude, I should have checked this section before running. Damn it, DTLR was a cook. I fucked up. Ah, Nova fucked up. Punched in the wrong keyword. See, the bot only does exactly what you tell it to do. It's interesting. As these tasks are running, you can actually see the web page on his screen just crushing through these transactions at like bot peak speed. Some of the sites have CAPTCHAs and he's just sitting there telling Google, there's a fire hydrant, there's a fire hydrant. Uh, as fast as he can to prove that there's a human behind these transactions, which there isn't really. Nova does fine. Turns out some of the sites he's using started taking this new payment processor, so he had, you know, mixed bag results. That release was super 
duper annoying, mostly because foot sights were absolutely destroyed and down for quite some time. Nobody really knows what's going on. There's a lot of payments being ghosted. There's a lot of charges, not too many emails. So therefore I can't really make like your standard checkout recap because I really don't know myself how much I actually got. Um, it's gotten to a point where I can justify the reselling a little bit because I pay resell for most of my collection. So it's kind of like I have to resell to pay resell, if you get what I'm saying. Like, that seems to be a lot of what the culture is. I don't think there's anyone that purely collects, 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 and has never resold a pair of shoes anymore because the fact is you're going to have to pay resell down the line, so you want to offset that cost a little bit. There are people in sneakers definitely that are only in sneakers for the money, and um, that's a little different. I would put them in a different bracket than some other people that would resell and engage in reselling in order to, down the line, purchase a pair of shoes that they wanted. People who are only in it for the money, people who are in it for the love of you know sneakers. We're gonna talk about the people behind these bots right after the break. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Bots are everywhere. Bots are everything now. Like, there's bots in game chats and Twitch chat rooms. There's bots that answer questions. There's bots that talk to you. There's bots that look things up for you. There's bots that take over your computer. You know, there's a variety of different kinds of bots. These are shop bots. I think bot, in my memory, originated in video games. So anything that was essentially a non-player character, an NPC, was a bot. Essentially an AI participating with you in the game. So we got two different types of people using these bots. We've got people who are reselling shoes at a profit to offset buying resold shoes at a loss. And we've got people who are reselling as a business. Buying shoes they'd never wear to resell them again at a profit. It's easy to say, okay, Paul seems kind of like the former, maybe Nova, and truthfully, heaps of people on YouTube are the latter. But my sense is that most people in this world are floating somewhere in the middle, reselling when it makes sense, buying the shoes you love. And at 200, 300, 400 bucks, buying a bot kind of makes a lot of sense for both groups. Uh, it's really useful if you can afford it, if you're trying to grab a pair for yourself, and it makes complete sense if you're treating this like a business. Can you kind of take me through the bots you've used over the years? Yeah, so what I used to run, is I used to run uh, before I kind of left for a while, was called Dashy, dashy.io. Um, and that bot like, was the first one I ever got, and it did amazing like it was awesome and um that was probably my biggest one so then they start putting in um i don't exactly know the technical side behind the anti-bot measures you have to probably ask shopify how that one works but it would just um 
decline a lot of payments and uh, throttle proxy IPs and whatnot. So if it was suspicious, it would kick you to the back of the queue um, and make your ping speed a lot slower, at least to my knowledge. I mean, I'm not very knowledged in this anti-bot stuff. I just know that it existed and it made me pretty angry. <laughs> what, uh, what bot are you using right now? What's your current go-to? Well, I've had this one Kodai AIO for... Um, almost a year now. So I got it right before I kind of died down on my commitment to botting. And it's been fantastic. Uh, I also run... Um, what else do I run? Sorry, I'm just trying to look them up now. So Kodai, uh, what bot I also run? Splash Force sometimes, even though I've never got anything with that. <laughs> um... I still ran Dashi for a while and just sold it recently. Resold? Yeah, and that's pretty much the ones that I use on a daily basis. You resold the reselling software? I did. It, uh, I just have been trying to consolidate the uh, bots that I don't use as much into, I guess, ones that I'll use more. So I'm selling off the ones that I don't find work as well for me anymore and getting ones that I think do. Botting is pretty interesting in the sense that there are very good bots and bots that are widely regarded as the best bot. But most of it actually has to do with the user's understanding of the bot because some people may have, uh, like Cybersoul. Uh, Cybersoul resells for about 4,000 US dollars at the moment. But some people may have this bot and not check out anything just because they don't understand it and they haven't practiced with it and then there's other bots that are more in air quotes entry level which are regarded to be something like dashi and dashi would have um what is it's about 100 dollars right now but it has a higher monthly renewal so you have to pay about 50 dollars a month of upkeep to keep your license did you say that Cybersoul resells for four thousand dollars. Yeah, four thousand uh, U.S. dollars. Four thousand American dollars to repurchase one of these apps. Four. Th- I was curious. The shitbot that Nova was using. If we kick over to their website, a wash and poop emojis. How much does the shitbot run for? If you go over to the buy section, they currently have a one-year license listed for $9,999. What is going on here? So here's my read on this. The shipbot doesn't actually run for that. They will sell you a $10,000 license, but seeing as it usually retails for 300 bucks a year, that price is a, is a fuck-off price. This is artificial scarcity. Once they sell a certain amount, they ratchet up the price to stop sales. Then there are only so many copies of the app in the wild, at which point the resale market kicks in with people buying and selling the software to each other at a markup. Sound familiar? Scott, is scarcity in software, I feel like I know the answer to this, is scarcity in software ever a thing? God, no. The first one costs everything. The second one costs nothing. You can make a million copies of it. I imagine the reason why you'd want to have some scarcity in something like this is because if everybody had it, you're essentially creating your own arms race. 
And then all of a sudden your bot's, you know, not valuable anymore. So there, there theoretically could be a conceivable reason to why you'd want to keep it somewhat scarce. But as far as software in general, absolutely not. Like Microsoft is Microsoft for a reason. Copy, paste, make a new. Yeah. Print on the DVD. Cut it, cut it, cut it. You know, the first one costs $2 billion. The second one costs one cent. Out of curiosity, I looked up, you know, kind of the Rolls Royce of bots in 2020, and Paul's numbers check out. Kodai, which is rarely restocked, uh, runs for between 4500 and 6000 bucks on the resale market, plus some monthly fee. When these sneakers drop, is there anybody actually standing in line at this point, or is it just robots racing to complete this transaction? And I guess in a sense, is it just whoever has the best bot gets the sneakers? Uh, actually... I don't think it's exclusively the bots going up against each other. I think these anti-bot measures have actually done a decent job. These anti-bot measures, Scott, I, I guess, how do you imagine these bots worked and how do you imagine people go about keeping them out of the lineup, so to speak? The early bots, I think, would rip apart the HTTP get and put requests, which are coming from your web browser to submit forms. So they could essentially figure out exactly what data was passing from your web browser to the server and then they could quickly replicate that so one of the first anti-bot measures was ways to stop that from happening so if you weren't interacting with the website then the put request from the form wouldn't satisfy the website's requirements or the, the server's requirements so i think that's probably the big first anti-bot measure it probably worked a lot like uh, RSA keys, like each web page that you loaded up had an embedded, you know, number or something in it that if the submission from the form didn't also include that embedded number, you rejected it. Pretty easy, pretty straightforward, really easy to get around because all you would do is scrape the page, pull that number out and include it in your submission. You know, they're probably having to get far more complicated now because I'm sure they're into some pretty crazy things. Um, where I think the bots now have to essentially replicate human interaction. So they're literally pretending to surf the internet for you using probably a real web browser or some form of API that, that manifests itself as a real web browser. Because if it doesn't, then the back end of the server probably rejects it. Usually, like probably about a year to two years ago, it would have just been a, a bot battle, to be honest. But now at least some manual users go by. Uh, it's still very bot dominated. And so, like you said, it definitely is kind of a, a battle between these bots, which have thousands and thousands of users fighting, especially on Shopify, for 50 pairs. Say a company makes a sneaker for 100 bucks. They know it'll sell out at 100 bucks. But they also know that if someone was to turn around and resell those sneakers for $300 or $400 or $500, no one would blink an eye. Which kind of got us wondering, are there any sneaker companies reselling their own stuff? We asked Paul that question right after the break. All you want is to meet your security and compliance requirements. But your business technology keeps changing. Cyber threats emerge every day. More regulations apply to you now than ever before. And your IT resources remain limited. 
the Center for Internet Security can help. At CIS, we work to create a safer world for people, businesses, and governments through collaboration and innovation. Using a community-driven consensus process, we work with IT professionals and volunteers around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources save you time, money, and effort wherever you are on your cybersecurity journey. We also work with U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations to share information with one another so they're stronger together. Join us today in creating confidence in the connected world. Visit cisecurity.org to play your part. You know, with manufactured scarcity comes a higher margin of value that you can generate. It totally wouldn't surprise me if, you know, especially small players aren't essentially reselling their own product because I just don't think that there's a reason why you wouldn't. You know, why would you sell something, a sweatshirt that says, you know, something, something social club on it for, you know, $180 and then watch a reseller sell it for 650 when you're an independent artist? Like, why wouldn't you then just sell it for 650 I'm no, like, you know, Nike probably can't do that. Adidas probably can't do that. But I imagine there's a lot of people that live in the drop culture, not just in sneakers, that are doing that. Yeah, the culture wouldn't like it, but there's no law against it. Not only is there no law against it, it just makes economic sense. I make a sneaker that I sell for 100 bucks. I know that people will buy it for 200 bucks. Are there any rumors of like big companies reselling their own product? Um, yeah, there are. Um, there's a lot of stuff surrounding um, a lot of back doors which is when they would just uh, directly sell them out the back to um, a resale service. I know there's some things that uh, go on occasionally with skate shops that do that, and they'll sell their SB Dunks out the back door in order to get the revenue for the shop. But, I mean, obviously that's to keep the shop sustaining and um, get a little bit more revenue, which is which is okay. I mean, the way that I see stuff like that is... There's likely a reason for it. Um, there's also rumors in the states of uh, because I can't remember if Foot Locker has a share in Goat, which is a large resale pl- platform, or the other way around. I think it's Foot Locker has a share in Goat, and there's a lot of rumors about them directly backdooring stock to uh, Goat. Foot Locker did invest 100 million into the reselling app Goat in 2019, but beyond some sneakerhead YouTube channels discussing the rumor. We could not confirm it. So here's where we end up. What started out as a lineup eventually became this online queue. What started as people reselling product at a markup to cover the cost of buying marked up product swelled into this $2 billion industry. As an aside, if sneaker reselling was a company, it wouldn't quite make it out of the Fortune 500, but it wouldn't be that far off. And in the middle of all of that money, or really kind of driving it, are these young people like Paul and Nova engaged in this never-ending fight with these sellers who may or may not be fixing the fight, probably not, in what has turned into this never-ending arms race of bots and hacks to complete transaction at ever-accelerating rates. What started out with sneakers has swollen into this. 
Do you think this ever goes back? It's kind of hard to say. Like for when they implemented that Shopify bot protection, a lot of people are like, rip, that's the end of uh, botting. But it's realistically, um, the bot companies are incredibly smart and the developers behind that are obviously incredibly smart. So it seems kind of like a boxing match between the um, site developers and the bot developers, which is kind of interesting. Um, In terms of botting as a whole, um, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I think it's really gaining traction, which is what causes the resell on these bots to go so astronomically high. I think there's a lot of people that have really started to um, kind of catch wind of what's going on here in sneaker culture, and they have a perception that it's very easy to get your foot in the door and make a lot of money doing so. So there's a lot more people even that I notice surrounding me that are getting involved in this and asking about bots. Scott, where do you think this, I guess to borrow Paul's term, this, this whole boxing match, where does, where does that boxing match go from here? I think, the, I think they've created a game and there's always going to be people to play. They've manufactured scarcity. So they're withholding product that people want to drive up the value of it, which then drives up the value of it in the secondary market, drives up the desire to own it. As long as they do that, there will be a higher demand. They could just make more shoes, but you know, they're not doing that because, you know, marketing. But <laughs> but but the as long as there's the game, there'll be players, you know. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bit of a different episode for you. Hope you enjoyed it. We're going to be back next month with another episode. Since we are producing once a month right now, big, big thing you can do to help the show out is comment and share. Both help us out with the sort of mystical podcast app algorithms. If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter at Hacked Podcast. And if you want to really show us some love, we're over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Hacked Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you on the next one.